Reading is from John chapter 7, uh, verse 37 to 44. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him but no one laid a hand on him. Thanks, Jonathan, very much. <clears throat> um, and can I add um, my welcome to Claire's? It's really great to, um, to, to see you all uh, today. And um, well, let me just pray before we uh, just look at this wonderful passage. So let's pray together. Our oh, Heavenly Father, we pray uh, simply that Please, would you give us ears to hear the wonderful invitation that Jesus makes to uh, all of us in this passage today. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. Now, I want to start with a question. And that question is, what would you do for a drink? I'm not asking uh, how enthusiastic you are about uh, getting back to the pub for some social drinking when uh, restrictions ease. I'm talking uh, about real desperate thirst. What would you do for a drink? Because in 2003, there was this guy you may remember called Aaron Ralston who made headlines around the world when he cut off his own arm uh, after he, um, he got caught in a mountaineering accident in, uh, in Utah and his uh, arm had become trapped under a boulder. Uh, the 27-year-old had only set out for, uh, for the afternoon with sort of afternoon rations, and then this boulder fell on him and it trapped his arm. And he was trapped for six days before eventually amputating his own arm with his penknife. And um, I'll, I'll spare you the further gruesome details, but in, in media interviews that he gave afterwards, he, he said that running out of food wasn't a problem, but the, the, the first that he experienced was unbearable. This is a, an excerpt of what, what he said. He said, you're not going to die of hunger in six days, but you will die of dehydration. Thirst is such a presence. It drives your body. It's one of those very root instincts your mind has that connects it to your body's needs. And when you feel thirsty, you need to have a drink of water. And if it's not there, the thirst gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And he insisted uh, in this interview that the overwhelming feeling that he had after cutting himself free wasn't fear or, or bravery or even regret, but rather elation. He, he said this, 
if you look at it from the perspective of someone sitting in their grave for six days, it was a resurrection. It was a rebirth. And in that sense, it was the best thing I've ever done. It was the most beautiful experience I've ever had. Now, we are all utterly dependent on physical water to stay alive. And this example of Aaron Ralston is just a really stark example of that, that he was willing to do anything to have his thirst quenched. But in this passage today, Jesus talks about, can you believe it, an even more important thirst that we all have. And it's a spiritual thirst. It's a thirst to know the God who made us. And he claims that he is the one who can quench that thirst. If only we will come to him and drink. So let's just start uh, by thinking about what this spiritual uh, thirst is before we come and hear about the living water he promises that satisfies. So first of all, spiritual thirst, I've called our first point. Because Jesus clearly thinks that these people in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles had a real spiritual thirst. When he stands up on the last day of this feast and declares, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He's clearly not just standing there as some noisy salesman trying to flog a few bottles of, uh, of water, of physical water, to weary festival goers. Because he says that he's got living water to offer that will flow out of people's hearts, not down their throats. So he's appealing to anyone with a spiritual thirst. So the first question for those listening then and for us now is, well, do we recognise this thirst in us? I certainly think there's, there's evidence all around us today in our society of this spiritual thirst. It seems to be a universal fact of humanity across time and cultures that we're constantly in search of meaning and satisfaction in life, yet at the same time we never quite find it or we never quite hold on to it. And we all know those cliched examples of the rich, the powerful, the famous, who, who can't find lasting satisfaction in life. But for the majority of us, we seek satisfaction in things, I, I suppose the more normal everyday things, like having a good job, being in a relationship, perhaps having a family, going on nice holidays, having a generally comfortable life. But even these more kind of modest targets don't seem to bring us the fulfillment that we were hoping for. We keep, keep sort of aching for more. Um, so some of you may read um, Matt Rudd, the, um, the Sunday Times uh, columnist, who sort of writes on lifestyle. But he's recently written a book titled Why Men Are Unhappy and What We Can Do About It. And here's him introducing it in a recent column. He says this, a year or so ago, I decided to write, I, I decided to do something about my midlife doldrums. I could have taken up yoga or cross-stitch or driving a red convertible car, but instead I started asking other men how they felt. I deliberately sought out those who are, by most definitions, doing fine. They're earning decent salaries and decent jobs. They're paying off unfeasible mortgages on overpriced family homes. They're happily married fathers of 2.4 children. And I decided to focus on them because if they aren't happy, who is? I thought I would discover the secrets to their success, adopt their tips for happiness, and stop being such a grump myself. Bad idea. The problem is, it turns out that most of these supposedly successful men 
are not happy either. Now, Rod is shocked. Uh, Rod is uh, is shocked to discover these apparently successful people aren't happy or satisfied. But he also discovers that in many cases, these people are so busy and stressed, just keeping going in life, that they've actually given up trying to find deeper satisfaction. He writes this: more striking still, most of these people admit they very rarely think about their own happiness. I can't, one of them told me. If I start worrying about the meaning of life, I'll go mad. I just have to keep going. Now, wh whether you are or aren't a follower of Christ today, I wonder, I just wonder whether we can identify with this kind of spiritual thirst. Do we, do we look for satisfaction in, in these kinds of things and feel disappointed that we're not being satisfied? Or, or are we perhaps afraid to even stop and ask the question about whether we're thirsty for deeper meaning and satisfaction? Because we're worried about, about not finding an answer, and so we just fill our lives with endless busyness and distraction. Well, if either of these questions are kind of uncomfortably close to the truth for us today, then what Jesus says next in this situation in John 7 should come as the very best news for all of us because he says the only way for us to have this aching desperate thirst quenched is to come to him and that's our, our second point living water that satisfies living water that satisfies so picture the scene uh, there in john uh, 7 it's the final and climactic day of the annual feast of tabernacles in jerusalem and jewish people traveled from everywhere to be there. The city was absolutely rammed with people. And the Feast of Tabernacles was originally commanded by God through Moses to be an eight-day harvest festival, uh, basically, of thanksgiving to God uh, for how he'd physically provided for his people in, in the past year, but also looking further back at how God had delivered his people from Egypt and into the Promised Land. But by the time of uh, Jesus, it had been celebrated for many centuries, and Jewish tradition had also added a future focus to this Thanksgiving festival. And it, it looked ahead to the age of the Messiah to come, who would bring forgiveness of sins. And this part was symbolized by a water pouring ceremony that took place uh, every day. So every day during that eight day feast, there was a procession of priests who went down to the pool of Siloam, just south of the um, city walls. And there a priest drew water from um, this pool with a golden flagon. And then it was carried uh, back up into the city with a great procession uh, of people accompanying, accompanying it. And then the water back at the temple was poured out on the altar. And as the water was poured out, the temple choir sang uh, a piece of music and it included Isaiah 12 verse 3 uh, which is this with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and this is one of many Old Testament prophecies of a time in the future when God will save his people and restore them to relationship with him and Jesus had seen this water pouring right taking place day after day 
during the festival and he knew it pointed to him. So on the last day of the feast, he, he can't stop himself. He just has to say something. So he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So do you see what an electric moment this would have been? All the priests are standing there having just performed this rite that looked forward to uh, God giving his people the water of salvation and relationship with him. And then Jesus says, effectively, in other words, the scriptures and this ceremony are pointing to me. Come to me. Believe in me. I am the one who can give you this living water of God's salvation. And then you see that the, the gospel writer John adds this kind of editorial comment in verse 39. Um, I, I don't know if Alison can uh, show that. And um, where he explains how Jesus would provide the living water of God's salvation. He explains that it, the spirit would be given to those who believed in him after Jesus was glorified. Now, Jesus being glorified has a very specific meaning in John's gospel. John uses it several times. Uh, uh, Jesus uses it in John when he talks about uh, his death on the cross. So for God to restore us to relationship with him, Jesus first had to die. Uh, in our place. And later in this gospel, John records that as Jesus is on the cross, as he dies, he says, I thirst. Now, of course, he was expressing physical thirst. But I think John wants us in that moment to notice more than this. He wants us to see that the thirsty people that Jesus has referred to back in chapter seven have their thirst quenched because Christ thirsts spiritually in their place on the cross. So if you like, he experienced the ultimate thirst of separation from God the Father and the Spirit in our place. And it's only after that has happened that we can know the living water of being restored to relationship with God. And the promise here is that from Jesus is that it's God's Holy Spirit who brings that knowledge of God's forgiveness to our hearts. The Bible teaches that, that our, our being restored to relationship with God is God's work from start to finish. It is God the Son who dies in our place on the cross. It is God the Spirit who enables us to believe in him. And it's God the Spirit who gives us a present conviction of, of, of joy and peace in God's love for us. So what Jesus is saying here is that believing in him is not just a kind of intellectual, human intellectual exercise of holding certain beliefs about him. It, it is actually a divine, supernatural experience of receiving God's love, his joy, his peace in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit gives us this experience of of the living God pouring out his love into our hearts. It's, it's such a powerful image here that he uses for the work of God's spirit in the life of the Christian. It says, you know, when we've come to believe in Christ, God places in our hearts 
this supernatural spiritual fountain the power of god himself by his spirit bubbling away inside us so powerfully with his love that it actually overflows our hearts it's a really powerful image and so here's a question for all of us this afternoon is this our experience of god and his love for us because it's put so strongly here It made me think of um, some famous words of Charles Spurgeon, the, uh, the Baptist minister down at Elephant and Castle in the, uh, in the 19th century. And, and this is how he experiences his, his experience of the love of God. This is what he wrote. Some of us know what it, is, what it is to be too happy to live. The love of God has been so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we almost had to ask God to stop the delight or we could endure no more. And if God had not veiled his glory and his love a bit, we would have died for joy. And these are such strong words. Is that our experience of the, the, the love of God? Do we experience the love of God for us as, as powerful as a fountain inside our, our hearts? And perhaps it, it might be that what Jesus is talking about here, it this extraordinary, beautiful truth of the Christian message is, is new to us, that, that God the Son thirsted for us in our, in our place, was separated from God, so that we could know the living water of God's forgiveness. And if that is the case, then that wonderful invitation of Jesus in verse 38, it still stands for us today. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. So will you answer that invitation of Jesus to believe and receive God's love, his joy, his peace? Or perhaps you've been a believer in Christ for a, a very long time, but it, 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 it feels like that fountain of, of love and joy and peace inside you has, has run dry. If so, can I encourage you to turn your eyes to Jesus Christ again today. Ask God's Holy Spirit to give you a fresh conviction of the glorious, undeserved love of God to you in Him, the one who gave His life for you and whose all powerful love will keep you through all the ups and downs of this life until one day you see Him face to face. It's an utterly wonderful, life changing promise. As we draw to a close, I want to just draw our attention to those closing verses in verses 40 to 44, because John records a kind of mixed response from the crowds at the time to this amazing promise that Jesus makes. Some are outright hostile, some are, are intrigued and wanting to know more, and some are clearly convinced that Jesus really was the one who could deliver on this promise. So it invites us to think ourselves, what's going to be our response today? Think back to Aaron Ralston, where we started. He was so desperate for physical life that he cut off his own arm to get it. He was so elated to survive that he, he described it as a resurrection. Now, Jesus Christ here offers us 
infinitely more precious spiritual life, a relationship with God, which begins now and through a real resurrection to, to life with him forever. And we don't even need to cut off our own arms to get it. All we need to do is to come to him and drink, to come to him and believe. So in the midst of all the hecticness and pressures and busyness of the political lives that all of us are caught up with, all the challenges of our personal lives, whatever it is that we're experiencing at the moment, let's hear this wonderful invitation of Christ to us today. And let's, let's pray for God's help now to, for us to accept that invitation and experience that wonderful love of God afresh. So why don't I pray for us as we, as we close together. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Our loving Heavenly Father, please would you help each one of us to do that today whether for the first time or for the thousandth time please grant us by your holy spirit the love the joy the peace of knowing your love for us in christ please may it be that bubbling fountain within us that overflows in love to all those around us our families our friends our work colleagues all those whom we serve in politics. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.